Hello, friends. Greg Kokel back with you here again for Stand to Reason. And I uh, thank you for being part of the listening audience. I expect you, some of you, to be part of our conversation as well. My number, 855-243-9975. That's 855-243-9975. You can call in and raise a question or an issue or challenge me if you like or uh, ask me for a piece of my mind. I'll ask you for a piece of yours. And that's what we do here at STR and have been doing that. Uh, actually, broadcasting now, I was just thinking about it a few moments ago. I think this is my 33rd year in broadcasting in 1990, February 11th or something like that is when I started. So 1991 would be my first year anniversary. 2021 would be my 30th anniversary. 2022 would be my 31st. So this is my 32nd year, I guess. I'm trying to do the math on this kind of weird. Uh, been gone for a while, was back last week, going out of town again soon, but I will be doing the shows from the road, no problem. So I will uh, not leave you as an orphan. I will be with you here, uh, but broadcasting somewhere from Wisconsin as working, trying to finish up this uh, manuscript for Street Smarts, um, using questions, the subtitle here, to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. And I've been pounding away at that for quite a while now, and uh, hopefully before too long I'll have it done. It was great being in the studio with uh, with Amy Hall this morning, though. We knocked out about three shows, no, four shows, STR Ask. Uh, take care of that. It was good being with her, which reminds me, tomorrow Amy will be doing a live Q&A. Tomorrow that would be Wednesday, the 20th, um, at on Facebook. Standard Reasons Facebook at 1 p.m. You can ask your questions, and she'll be so happy to answer. <laughs> and she's fabulous at that. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it's a bit challenging in a, in a good kind of way <clears throat> to do STR Ask with her because I get my first shot at answering the questions. Uh, she's the host. She reads them. She lets me talk, and then she adds her two cents, and it's usually a lot more. It's usually worth a whole lot more than two cents. And I, I find myself thinking, "Oh man, what? Why don't I think of that?" <laughs> I bettered my answer, but it's great to have a, a team member uh, that's so effective uh, at what she does. And uh, we have a deep bench here at STR, and so she will be doing her own live Q and A tomorrow. Uh, on Facebook, Wednesday, July 21 p.m. Uh, I gave that number, 855-243-9975. For those of you who are either on live streaming and would like to call in now, and, of course, you can live stream, I think, right? They can live stream watching and listen to this video at the moment, right? If they go use our app or something, they can listen live. Can they watch live, too? Yeah, this show, yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, apparently you can do that, and you guys have to figure out how, because I think our, our app has the show and the live stream, and maybe online you could do that. Um, str.org, probably the bottom of our our homepage has some of the details there. And um, let's see, what else do I want to say before we're – oh, well, Amy's tomorrow. This weekend I am going to be speaking at Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley on the 23rd and the 24th. That's all much of the day Saturday apologetics conference. And then the Sunday morning uh, services, both of them, I'll be talking on faithfulness is not theologically complicated. This is a theme that I've been hammering away at. I'm going to be teaching it uh, 
Let's see. I'll be at CIA next week with Frank Turek. I'll be giving that talk there uh, to more mature Christians. But my conviction is that we need to be reminded of some of the basics that are under attack now that are not difficult biblically. And so that's what I'll be talking about at Calvary Chapel, uh, Chino Valley. And then uh, the following week after CIA, I will be at Crestview Presbyterian Church in West Chester, Ohio. That's two words, West Chester, and at First Baptist Church in Fairborn, Ohio, both July 31st. Okay, West Chester, Ohio, that's just north of uh, Cincinnati. I'll be there in the morning services doing, uh, among other things, the story of reality. And then in the late afternoon, early evening at Fairborn, Ohio, uh, First Baptist Church, I think that's closer to um, the center of the state, uh, I'll be talking about uh, truth is not ice cream and faith is not wishing. So those are things on my schedule. Some of the other guys have some things I'll I'll tell you about before too long. But I have uh, noticed something in, in the news uh, that is a bit surprising to me. It has to do with Elizabeth Warren. She is a, a U.S. senator and um, a, a fairly recent um, a candidate for the president of the United States. But um, she wants crisis pregnancy centers around the country uh, completely shut down. Now, when I first saw the news blurb, I thought this has to be an overstatement. And some of the pieces that I read from critics of Warren, uh, people more on the conservative side, we can be guilty of, of maybe guilty isn't the right word, but we can uh, be colorful <laughs> with rhetoric. Guilty is a word that only applies to rhetoric when the rhetoric distorts the truth. I mean, I try to use rhetorical devices to make my points more compelling, but I am not trying to use language that distorts the truth. Um, but doesn't matter what side of the political fence you're on, you can be guilty of that. And so we just want to be careful, even as we read things from people who might reflect our own viewpoints, morally, politically, spiritually, whatever, we just want to make sure that we get a balanced view. And so some of the pieces were written cleverly by people who were quite upset, and I understand that. But I'm a little concerned about no, I'm not a little concerned. I'm a lot concerned about this maneuver. Now, remember, she's a sitting U.S. senator, and she is asking or she is expressing her desire that there be some way that the government can shut down a 501c3, a, a, a nonprofit organization that is doing acts of mercy and charity for the population. Now, I realize that CPCs, Crisis Pregnancy Centers, um, are pro-life. Elizabeth Warren is not pro-life. She is, well, I, I, I would like to choose the more charitable characterization of pro-choice as opposed to pro-abortion, because pro-abortion sounds like the person who is pro-choice, that is, who believes abortion should be an option, doesn't necessarily believe abortion is a good option or 
a favorable option but ought to be a legal option so they can justifiably say I am pro-choice though I am not pro-abortion so the more charitable characterization is pro-choice but I think that Elizabeth Warren is pro-abortion and the reason is is she is on a crusade appropriate word I think to shut down crisis pregnancy centers that help women. Now, there is a justification that she offers. And, uh, and here I'm quoting her in Massachusetts right now. Those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. All right? She uh, said this in an interview at, on NBC10 in Boston. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts, and we need to shut them down all around the country. Now, notice she identifies the number of abortion clinics versus the number of CPCs. CPCs outnumber them three to one. That's good news to me. And by the way, it seems to me that it suggests that uh, it, it, it speaks to the canard that pro-lifers don't care about the mother. We just care about the tissue. Well, of course we care about the mother. There are, uh, I'm looking at another statistic now uh, from the Charlotte Lozier Institute. I've not heard of that. They're a pro-life think tank. And they uh, record, in 2021, there are approximately 3,000 pregnancy center locations in the U.S. and only 808 abortion clinics. That's pretty amazing. That's more than three to one. But it does demonstrate that that, uh, pro-lifers are interested in the mother. By the way, they get nothing for this. Abortion clinics get paid not only by their clients for the abortion, but also get paid by the government, in many cases, Planned Parenthood, for example, to run their enterprise, and lots of money, too. CPCs don't. I have done many, many, many fundraisers for CPCs around the country because they exist to help women who choose to carry to term and need the assistance, and they get assistance, and the assistance they get is in the it, it, with, with uh, clothing and formula and uh, encouragement and training, and um, I'm looking for the list here. Uh, I had it somewhere, but now I can't find it. But just from my own experience, before, when I do a CPC fundraiser, I always go early enough to the community, usually the night before, so that I can have a tour of the center before I ask people to give money to that center. Okay? And I see what they do. I see. I ask lots of questions. I look at their budget. I see how they're spending their money. I see the ways in which they're reaching out to people. Now, apparently, there are some there is some evidence of some CPCs that um, are not uh, careful about what they communicate. The way Elizabeth Warren characterizes it, though, is that (laughs) all of them in Massachusetts are like that. Let me read the quote again. 
in Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination to help help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. So that's all of them are doing this. They're there to mislead. We need to shut them down. She also adds, you should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that, referring to the work done by pro-life charities. Now, I guess I'm not entirely clear on the behavior she's referring to. Um, There has been documented cases of misinformation, uh, but there's no reason for me to think that this is characteristic of CPCs, especially given my exposure to them. They are there to help women in crisis. They are not there to recommend an abortion. They are there to help women who choose to carry to term. One of the things they do is they have um, ultrasounds, free ultrasounds performed in, in many of them. This is major. Okay. Oh, well, that's manipulative. Really? Yes, because now they're going to feel guilty. That's part of the charge. Let me see if I understand the view of women that this charge entails. Women are so weak that if you show them a picture of their unborn child, they will only feel guilt for killing that child, and they will not be, or for thinking about taking the life of that child, and they would not be capable of making their own informed decision. Well, they're not going to get an ultrasound over at an abortion clinic. Why not? Isn't that part of being informed? This is what we're talking about. Take a look. Oh, that's manipulative. How is giving facts manipulation? It's not manipulative, it's effective. Because this allows a mother to see clearly what's at stake. And what's at stake is that that individual human child, which is her offspring growing in her womb, that's what's at stake. And that's what's clear. Abortion clinics want to obfuscate that. CPCs don't. Now, is this a powerful tool to keep women from taking the lives of their unborn children? Yes, it is. That's Warren's complaint at the heart of it, in my view. But it's a powerful tool because it tells the truth. That's why it's powerful. It's just like other graphic images of, uh, of aborted fetuses, to use the more neutral term. Um, when I give my talks, I usually show a picture of a, of a video of a live 10-week-old fetus in the womb moving around. That gives a clear picture of what we're talking about. You can't just dismiss it with rhetorical language so people don't understand what's going on. But because these are the kinds of things that CPTCs do, and they offer an alternative to abortion because they think abortion is wrong, and part of their obligation uh, to be charitable and kind and merciful to women caught in a crisis pregnancy is to make it possible, in some ways, to be able to keep and carry that baby to term. 
Listen, I've been there and watched, listened to the testimonies of the women who get up on stage during these fundraisers before I give my own appeal, saying how incredibly well they have been treated, how life-changing the experience has been, and how glad they are they did not take the life of their child. Sometimes the child is with them on the stage, either an infant or a youngster or a teenager, as part of their testimony. These women aren't being manipulated. Now, will some people feel bad? Sure. Um, And if a crisis pregnancy center is is posturing as a uh, as you know a pro-abortion enterprise to get pro-abortion people in or abortion-minded women in so they could change their mind. I think that's deceptive and it's wrong. Okay, I have no sense that this is what's going on on a regular basis. And why would Elizabeth Warren, a female senator, think it is torture to show a woman? That's the word she used. Torture to show a woman a picture of her unborn child. It may be torturous because she's thinking of the consequence of her actions if she carries them out and aborts the child, but that's because she's killing her baby, and it ought to be torment. Do you see how upside down this is? If that's the reality, someone ought to feel bad about that, but that isn't the reason that they are being shown to the pregnant woman. It is helping the pregnant woman to see exactly what's at stake, what is going on. It allows her to make an informed decision. And by the way, when they are so informed, they overwhelmingly choose to carry and not to take the life of their unborn child. Now, uh, but there's, it, it gets worse than this in the case of Elizabeth Warren. Um, Apparently, last month she introduced uh, the Stop Anti-Abortion Disinformation Act, which would empower the uh, FTC, Federal Trade Commission, to crack down on um, allegedly false claims made by crisis pregnancy centers and fined. It it is kind of interesting that there's such an aggressive effort to make sure all the accurate information is given just in this one area, this politically charged area. Other organizations aren't under that cloud as they explain things or carry on their business or whatever. Why this focus? And, of course, we know why. Uh, Because Elizabeth Warren is pro-abortion and not pro-choice. If she was pro-choice, she would champion CPCs. Oh, they're giving disinformation, allegedly. Okay, who gets to decide what is disinformation or not? It seems to me we just recently went down this road on a federal level. The president was going to put together a truth panel. Really? The government gets to decide what's true? Um, that's what the free, <laughs> that's what the First Amendment is all about, it seems to me. Why don't you let us make our own decision based on the arguments if you allow all the arguments to have an opportunity, rather than threatening them and punishing them, the voices, I should say, for communicating their side or the facts as they understand them. We are grown-ups. We don't need the government 
to uh, uh, to be our truth filter. By the way, if the government was really a genuine truth filter, a whole lot of this nonsense would never make it to the public square, because it's just not true. Um, many of you might be aware of the fact that since, well, not even since Roe was uh, overturned by SCOTUS, uh, there have been acts of violence against CPCs and churches that uh, that are pro-life, okay? And this happened, started happening when the draft, Alito's draft of the opinion that became public in June, um, illicitly hit the uh, the news media, okay? And dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been burned, have been vandalized, uh, pro-life leaders have been threatened, and there was also an assassination attempt against Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Did you know that? Now, it, it's such a weird thing that the person who is planning to assassinate Judge Kavanaugh decided not to and turned himself in. Go figure. Somebody must have been praying. But in any event, uh, I, I, you know, did, I, I don't know what kind of visibility the uh, the media gave to that particular story. I happen to know about it because I I don't <laughs> because I get other, have other sources of information. But how about this Antifa-linked group called Jane's Revenge? Uh, they basically have the same attitude that Elizabeth Warren has about the future of CPCs, though they are much more aggressive uh, about it. And recently they sent a letter, uh, let's see, uh, an open letter uh, demanding that CPCs close their doors. And here, uh, according to this one article by Katie Pavlich at townhall.com, uh, here is what uh, they've said in that open letter. We offered an honorable way out. By the way, what would that be? What would be the honorable way out that they offered that CPCs voluntarily closed their doors? Hmm, that's the honorable way out. Okay, I continue. You could have walked away. Now the leash is off, and we will make it as hard as possible for your campaign of oppression. Really? to continue. Let me just pause for a minute. See, this is where language gets abused. CPCs exist to help women who choose to carry to term. It is one of the choices that pro-choice people ought to affirm, and they do it at their own expense. That's why I help raise money for some of them, because people give gifts that allow the CPCs to do their job. How is that oppression? Anyway, that's the word used. I continue. We have demonstrated in the past month how easy and fun it is to attack. We are versatile. We are mercurial. And we answer to no one but ourselves. We promise to take increasingly drastic measures against oppressive infrastructures. Rest assured that we will. And those measures may not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti. 
Okay. Now, okay, pretty straightforward. And this is what we're facing. Uh, curiously, there has not been a significant response, reaction, condemnation from the powers that be over these attacks and these kinds of statements. You can draw your own conclusions from that. Uh, the good news is there are 3,000 CPCs in the United States, only 808 abortion clinics. And that number is going to go down as the states step up to make abortion in their states illegal. Uh, the fight is not over. It's just begun. Uh, they have... Uh, one ought... One, one would think that the fight... The fight, the literal aspects of fight, would be over because of the rule of law. And that's largely, that was largely the case for, what, almost 50 years with Roe. The law decided, and so those of us who disagreed with the law largely went along with it. We didn't fight in the literal sense. We fought verbally to make our case. But the left doesn't do that, just like this piece warns. We promise to take increasingly drastic measures against oppressive infrastructures, rest assured that we will, and those measures may not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire and graffiti. We've demonstrated in the past month how easy and fun it is to attack pretty sad. Pretty sad. Rule of law protects everyone if it's honored. Protects no one if it's not. Let's take a break. A lot of callers on board here. Glad to see the lights lighting up. Greg Kokel here at Stand to Reason. Stay with us. Have you seen our brand new website? Stop by str.org and enjoy a fresh, clean layout with all the same great content. The new Stand to Reason website was designed with you in mind. It has an easier-than-ever navigation and a crisp, simple layout so you can find all the sound analysis and careful commentary that you've come to expect from us. Browse new features that make finding your favorite resources easier than ever. As always, it's our goal to equip you, our fellow Christians, with the confidence, clear thinking, and courage you need for every encounter you have as a Christian ambassador. Our new website is just one way we're fulfilling that goal, allowing you to access the resources you need in a new and improved way. So visit str.org and keep coming back to discover new podcasts, articles, and videos each and every day. Did you know Stand to Reason has a YouTube channel? We release a new video each Monday on the topics you care about. Through short, engaging videos, our speakers train you on tactics, offer apologetics tips, answer common theology questions, and address big issues in the world today. Join tens of thousands of other subscribers so you can stay up to date when we release a new video. Just go to youtube.com and search STR videos, all one word, and hit the subscribe button. That's STR videos. Take advantage of this free resource to help you stay informed, encouraged, and equipped as you share your worldview with others.
All right, friends. Greg Kokel here, Stan Reason, still looking at some of these challenges here uh, that's associated with Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's appeal to close down CPCs. Uh, we actually have a caller uh, that uh, is calling in from Glendale, Arizona, relative to that particular issue. So let's go to him. Is this Leland in Glendale? Yes, Leland. Good to talk to you. Thank you for calling. Yeah, good to talk to you again. Always enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this is uh, also apropos for our topic, what you have in mind. Yeah, um, I lived uh, 20 years in uh, Southern California. I think I've, well, I know I've talked to you about that before and uh, told you about how important your ministry was to me while I was there. But um, also while I was there for a time, I did some uh, volunteer work at a pregnancy center. Uh, I believe it's called Assure now. It's in Montana. Back when I was uh, doing my volunteer work there, they were called Alternate Avenues. I don't know if you've heard of them. I haven't, uh, but that's all right. Okay. Um, Anyway, I wanted to just explain, well, well, first, actually, let me do a a quick referral uh, or recommendation. If people want to go online and get a, uh, and look for a a video of an actress impersonating Elizabeth Warren visiting one of these dastardly um, clinics, clinics, abortion clinics, touring it and showing all the evil, devices they use, like, you know, the ultrasound and the plush couches and all that, and all the all the things they give. Oh, so this is a video, them. this is supposedly an expose of crisis pregnancy centers. Is that what you're talking about? Or is this yeah, a, but it's, oh. it's, it's all, but it's totally sarcasm. It's, you know, parody. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Like, look at this awful thing they're doing. They're showing pictures of their baby. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. And parody, they're giving yeah. away Diapers and diapers and diapers and baby food and, and right. you know, cribs and, you know, on and on and on and on and on. Right, anyway, right, right. Anyway, I worked at such a place for a while as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, when, on those rare occasions, when a woman would come in uh, with a man who had gotten her pregnant, or any man, uh-huh. um, I worked as a counselor, and... While the uh, women were, you know, helping her, showing, giving her the, you know, free ultrasound, and, and uh-huh. they would counsel her, tell her, you know, all the reasons why she probably shouldn't get an abortion if she was abortion-minded, and uh, telling her of all the services they could get through her, uh, through, through them, rather. Right. And uh, by the way, it, it is a, it is unabashedly a persuasive enterprise. There's no question about that. Yeah. But for some but reason, no to try to persuade a woman to save her baby rather than kill her baby is illicit. And that's kind of the way this is yeah. characterized. Okay, go ahead. But anyway, I was, I was, while that was happening, I was counseling the man. And uh, here's the thing. We were trained, you know, continuously, you know, to be very, very meticulous about the paperwork that, that they would sign, either right. getting the, you know, showing before they would come in. And, and and keeping it on hand, and uh, because we we had them sign in one place and then 
initial and three other places, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that they understood that this was not an abortion clinic. They were not affiliated with an abortion clinic. Sure. They would not offer abortions. They were not referred to for abortions, et cetera, so forth and so on. And the reason they had to do that, and, and, and the reason they didn't dare, would, would never dare to uh, misrepresent, you know, pretend, yeah, is because we were constantly being, I don't know what the right word is, probed or, or tested. Huh. Uh, you know, someone would, probably from Planned Parenthood or yeah. some other organization that are just a supporter, uh, would come in and it would start to become obvious that they really were just trying to get us to uh, either suggest to them that, you know, yes, you know, we can you know help you with your abortion. You know, like in my case, no. I had a, a guy, guy come in and ask, you know, during the counseling three different times, you know, so... I can do the abortion. We can get the abortion here, or you can tell us. Where. And I have right. to show them the paperwork all over again. And right, say no. right. So, so on the one hand, I, I get your point here. You guys, in your case, were very, very careful, partly because you knew people were watching you, and you didn't want to get trapped. Okay. And my sense also is, especially from the CPCs that I've worked with, and there have been many in the past. In fact, I met my wife at the very first CPC presentation I gave, the very first fundraiser in 1992 uh, in in uh, Westlake, California, so Westlake Village. So okay. that's where I met my wife. But w- what I've encountered are very, very generous, grace- gracious, virtuous people who would not want to mislead p- others yeah. and uh, because uh, for virtue's sake. Now, I'm not saying that all pro-lifers are Christian. I think there are pro-lifers that are not Christian as well, but the vast majority are pro-life in virtue of their Christian worldview and their understanding of of uh, the value of the unborn human made the image of God, and they also have to answer to God the, for the way they do their business. And um, so all of these make it less likely that there are going to be outliers— and uh, there are them. They're in they in this, some of these articles I have in front of me right here. They record some of them, but but I I think they are genuinely outliers. They're not characteristic of the whole. And part of it is when 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 you look at the uh, um, let me just see. I was to find my my uh, page here. Uh, some of the things. Okay, here's an example: the alleged disinformation that manipulates people. Okay, according to this article here, includes things like referring to a baby as a baby, yeah, rather okay. than a fetus. Well, wait a minute. That's the way women who want to keep their baby refer to their unborn. They refer to the baby. I have never heard a, a pregnant woman being asked, "When is your fetus due?" I mean, you know, it's like yes, or or for the woman who says, "My body, my choice." When the woman is pregnant. Uh, and I t- had to appear to Dennis Prager because I heard him mention this recently. When a woman is pregnant, nobody asks her, hey, how's your body? How's yeah. your body? Referring to the unborn. <laughs> no, they're talking about how's your baby. But but that's misinformation, according to Elizabeth Warren. And uh, let's see. And then also informing women about the developmental stages of pregnancy. W- what's disinformation about that? 
That's what a woman ought to be informed of. You, you know, in any health issue, you are told all the details so you can make an informed decision. Um, so anyway, this is and, the kind of thing that passes uh, as 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 criminal disinformation justifying trying to close these clinics down, no matter how much good they do, and no matter how many women they help, never mind how many lives are saved of unborn children. That doesn't show up in the meter for the uh, pro-choice person. But how many women they help who choose to carry to term. I guarantee you, none of the women that that you served, uh, Leland, in the CPC where you volunteered, would have gotten any help from the local um, Planned Parenthood. They were not going to Well, a lot it. of the women that came in there came in there because of the bad experience they had at Planned Parenthood. Interesting. And the way they were treated, and especially if they came in there with a man, the man was really treated badly, oh. and uh, they separated them right away, kept him in the waiting room. And, you know, and they wanted to see the ultrasound, and they wouldn't let them. Yeah, I've so, heard of those know. testimonies as well, that the, she would not allow—one woman told me personally that uh, the reason that she gave birth to the child she was carrying is because she went to have an abortion and asked for an ultrasound, and and apparently there was an ultrasound being taken for just for the procedural purposes of having the abortion, but oh, the, but the mother wasn't allowed the pregnancy. Say it again? They all, I, I was told, you know, by the nurse practitioner that, that uh, had well, their art clinic and, well, and others that they have to do that before they give an abortion. They have to confirm pregnancy and the stage of pregnancy. Okay, well, the the point I'm making here is, though, in this particular case, a, um, a, a ultrasound was being given at the abortion clinic, but the mother was not allowed to see it and she kept exactly. asking to see it and they said it is against policy and then she demanded and so they showed it to her and that's when she got up and she walked out and oh, then she carried the term you know so hey. anyway that's that's um uh what that is called is informed consent it strikes me so it's good to hear your side though leland and my experience with cpcs comports with what you just described. I think this challenge by Elizabeth Warren is liable on the vast majority of uh, CPCs around the country. And to try to shut them down for these reasons is is criminal in itself. It is. Okay. Hey, thanks for the call. Yeah. Okay. Appreciate it, Warren. Uh, let's see. Where are we going next? Let's go to Marie in Orange County, and uh, let me find your button, Marie. Welcome to the show, Marie. How are you? Hey, Greg. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, well, I, you know, I always enjoy talking to the callers, but I often get f- frustrated at the circumstances that we end up discussing, and that's the way I find myself right now. But I'm sure. glad we're talking about it because these are weighty issues. They are. They need to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, So my question has to do with Sodom and Gomorrah um, and with the violent response from the left over the Roe versus Wade getting overturned and a trans agenda being so prominent in our culture, um, it makes me wonder how far we are now from how evil Mm -hmm. things were then. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered what you thought were the main differences between what caused God to smite them then and what he's permitting now. Was it the density of their sin or the amount of people or the greatness of the offense? 
Well, th- that in some ways a little bit difficult to answer. My stock response to questions that have the phrase, why did God or why didn't God in them, is that we don't know because God didn't tell us, all right, in most cases. So with regards to this country, we don't know. But let me say some things about Sodom and Gomorrah. If you recall, this is uh, Genesis uh, 19. Uh, If you recall, in Genesis 18, uh, Abraham has a conversation with God because it's clear to Abraham that angels are going down into the valley to um, uh, to bring judgment on the c- cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you have that little bargaining session with, with uh, Abraham and with God, which results in a deal that he strikes with God that if there are ten righteous people in the city, God would not destroy it for the sake of ten. It turned out there weren't even ten. Okay, and uh, it, much less than that, it's hard to even count Lot's uh, uh, wife and family, because um, it, who even knows, even with Lot, you know, he is a questionable character. I mean, he's, gonna t- he's, he's throwing his daughters to the wolves there right. in chapter 19, so, and then his wife, you know, she turns back, turns to a pillar of salt. So look at this was a bad city. The people here were bad. Everyone was bad. People were completely sold out, um, in fact, to, to depravity. And Lot, when he encountered the angels who he thought were men, um, countenancing spending the night in the open square, he said to them, no way. You come into the protection of my house, basically, because I'm not going to let you sleep out here. It's too dangerous. And, of course, we found out what happened even when he was under the, the, the angels were under the protection of Lot in his own household, how they were accosted. And notice, by the way, even when the angels struck these men blind, they kept going after him, right? They kept clawing at the door, even blind. It, it was... So what we see in Sodom and Gomorrah, I think, is something that is more extreme than what we experience here. Um, Here in this country, even though in very, very big ways there's really terrible things going on, there are a whole lot of people that are not happy with it, that are not participating in it, do not approve of it, and even condemn it, at least in their hearts, if not verbally, because now there's punishment for those who condemn verbally. Okay? It just costs you. You get bullied one way or another. So I, I don't think, you know, the U.S. Is, is in anything close to the circumstances of Sodom and Gomorrah, even though manifestations of some of the behaviors are certainly here. Okay? Um, the church is here, too. And the church has a salting effect on the culture. It's certainly not as bad as it can get. I know people have said, if God doesn't strike the United States of America, then he should apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, I understand the sentiment, but I, in, in actual fact, I don't think that's the case. Sure. I don't think we're as bad. Um, but the time is going to come when the world is going to be ripe for judgment. And that and Book of Revelation talks about that. And there are a lot of things in the book of Revelation that may be difficult 
to understand, but one thing you can't miss is God's judgment is poured out in a fierce way over the whole world. And so uh, judgment is coming. When? I don't know. Soon? Later? I have no idea. I don't even think of it in those terms. Uh, But there is no question that things in this culture are getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And uh, that's that is, I feel sometimes like the way Paul felt when he was in Corinth, and he and his soul was grieved as he looked at all the idols, okay? And I, I sometimes feel the same way. I walk through the airport, or I, I just, you know, it's, I don't even watch, I don't watch TV, so, and I don't listen to the news, so I don't get all of that side of it. But you don't just drive down the freeway and look at the billboards, you know, and you're going to get a taste of what this culture values. Um, and and it, it grieves me. But I'm not the only one. There are a lot of people who are grieved and who are not willing to live that way. And so I think that is having assaulting influence on, uh, on, God's, um, on, on God's response. The church is here, but his his patience will not last forever. We know that from first, Second Peter chapter 3, you know. The Lord right. is not slow. He is just long-suffering. But the time will come when God's patience will be done, and it's time for judgment. Right. I love that so much. I, I take great encouragement from that. I've just been very aware of oh, yeah. the culture, and I fear for my kids, and um, often feel very alone in my concern oh. for things like that. So. I'm I'm really encouraged. And, yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And it's look, having children makes it harder, especially when you when children go through phases like in high school or whatever teenage years and all of that adolescence, and they it isn't like they're so fired up about the things that you're fired up about because you understand how the world works. You understand um, the Christian worldview and and how bad the world has gotten, and the kids don't see it. And it's not what they're interested in. They're interested in their friends and stuff like that, and so that makes it more difficult. This isn't true of all Christian families, but it's certainly true of a lot. And it's very difficult, I think, to navigate that as a parent. So I'm with you on that because I got kids and I got teenagers, and uh, it's a challenge. And it's and it means I'm praying every single day for their welfare. I pray about my family more than I pray about anything else, and uh, um, for that reason. Well, really grateful for you and your ministry. Thanks a lot, Greg. You're so welcome. Good to talk to you. Hey, let's go to. Uh, I'm looking at. Should we go to break? Can we do that? Yeah, we got one more break, and then we'll come to a final caller for this hour. And uh, and then we'll move forward from there. Greg Kokel here for Standard Reason. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag 
STRask. Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org slash donate to show your financial support. It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org slash donate. Greg Kogel back with you here on Sandra Reason, and let's go to uh, Anselm somewhere in California. Anselm, welcome to the show. Hello? Hi. Is your name really Anselm? Yes. That's the name your parents gave you? Yep. You can. You probably know who I'm kind of named well, after. Well, yeah, Anselm was a saint. He was yeah. like a like uh, right around the end of the first millennium. He he is one that uh, developed um, concepts of substitutionary atonement, uh, the ontological argument for the existence of God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, so uh, Anselm wrote uh, *Curdus Homo*, why the God Man? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, so you you you. Um, nice to talk to you, Anselm. I've read your work. <laughs> so how can I help you? You got a tough one here. Yeah. Um I think it's even something that like I'm also struggling through like just intellectually because it's like maybe not even intellectually, maybe more emotionally because it's um I uh basically I know a guy who uh most of his problems in his life was caused by abuse from a family member. Uh-huh. And, you know, he he went to church and, you know, would have claimed to be a Christian just, you know, maybe five years ago or so. And he uh, wouldn't claim to be a Christian anymore. He would even, you know, say, like, no, I'm not, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's like... Oh, man, I'm even forgetting what the question was. Well, it, uh, it sounds to me like if he's walking away from Christianity based on abuse uh, in the past, then maybe the the question is, why didn't God protect me from that abuse? Yeah, that's basically yeah what I he was what one of his kind of questions. Um, <laughs> and then even kind of onto that as well was like he's finally kind of figuring his life out after you know abuse problems and yeah. a divorce resulting from the issues of that abuse. And he kind of sees all of his improvements as his own efforts and nothing that, like, God helped him with. So basically, part of the same question is, like, if God was going to help me, he wouldn't have allowed that abuse. All right. Well, okay. I'm looking at the clock, so I want to—we've uh, got five, five minutes to go, so I want to offer you something that might be helpful, Okay. Um, the, these kinds of issues are always hard to deal with because they're so emotionally laden. So I'm just going to make a couple of comments that may help offer an answer. 
there is nothing unchristian about a person doing something to improve their own lives. We know that human beings are capable of that, okay? And um, and we know that because many non-Christians, or even atheists, are capable of, of doing uh, enormous good things, productive things with their lives, okay? <clears throat> uh, the, I guess the presumption is he helps himself, but God doesn't help him when God, when he needed God to help him. And that, so let me go to that second part. I'm not exactly sure. I understand the emotional impulse to this, but I'm not exactly sure where people get the idea that if God were real, or if the Christian God were real in particular here, then Christianity were true, then somehow they would be protected from all harm. I know of a woman who is a very hostile uh, atheist because her beloved grandfather died when she was a young girl, and she can't believe in God who would allow that to happen to her as a youngster. So I'm not sure what she, uh, I mean, the emotional thing aside, I'm not sure what she expected, that if God really existed, that all the people that she cared about and loved would never die on her watch? Is that, I mean, really? That if God, and for me as a Christian, that if God really loved me, that he would never allow me to go through hardship and difficulty and trial? No, that's not good parenting. In fact, Hebrews 12 talks about this, that God disciplines us because he loves us. Now, how does he discipline us? Well, there's lots of different ways that he helps us to grow. And a big part of that is through growing through difficulties and trials. Even the sin of other people, God uses for good in our life. And by the way, the New Testament is absolutely thick with that. Rejoicing in tribulation. It's in Romans 5. It's in James chapter 1. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. Or maybe it's chapter, yeah, chapter 12. And lots of other places, too. In First Peter, Peter says, Why are you surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as if something strange were happening to you? There is no promise of God that if we're good Christians, things are, we are going to be protected from all of the contingencies of living in a fallen world. No, quite the opposite. Not only are we living in a fallen world like everybody else, but we are also behind enemy lines spiritually if we're Christians. The expectation that God, if he really loved us, would protect us from those things um, is not a sound biblical expectation. Indeed, um, out of love, God uses, allows us to go through hardships and uses them for our good. That's the promise. We know that God causes all things to work for good for those who love Him, love Him, and are called according to His purpose, etc. So, so the promise we have is not that there won't be bad in our life, but that with God. He will use it for some good end in the long run. And specifically in Romans 8, where I was just citing, that good end is to conform us to the image of Christ, because that's the thing that we're going to carry on with us when we move from this life to the next. And that's the eternal thing. 
that is the the real re- important thing. In fact, Second Corinthians chapter four, the last couple of verses talk about this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Paul is talking about what we experience in the moment. The affliction is just momentary and just light by comparison to the glory it's going to produce in the long run. That is the New Testament perspective. If we are thinking that we are going to be protected, then we are going to be disappointed. If, however, when we encounter the challenges and the trials, we continue to remind ourselves, like the Scriptures continue to do, that God is going to use these for our good, and He is with us in the midst of these things, even if He doesn't take us out of them, that is the path to, to spiritual progress. And I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, I just in three or four minutes, I've just summed it up for you really quickly, and um, all all out of time here. But it's, I think that we have an unrealistic, unbiblical expectation of what God is committed to do in our lives, and then we think that God has let us down because He hasn't done what He hasn't promised He was going to do. We can be sympathetic towards, and we ought to be, and our heart should grieve with people who go through terrible circumstances like your friend has gone through. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about him and is not there to help him. Yes, he can help himself. Everybody can help themselves in some measure and ought to. But ultimate help has to come from God to deal with the real problems that we have, especially our own sin. All right, that's it, friends, for this hour. Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. Give him heaven. Bye-bye now.